It only makes sense that the creator of all things would have a purpose for you. Kirby Anderson reveals that purpose now on Probe. You know, this week we're discussing some of the biblical insights from Probe staff member Steve Cable concerning a Christian purpose for life. And examining the beliefs of emerging adults over the last few years, one common deficiency is the misunderstanding of their relationship to eternity. Many have not thought about the question, why did God leave me on earth once I was saved? Or they harbor misconceptions about the answer. Let's begin by considering some of the common misconceptions. One misconception is thinking, I need no purpose. Many people believe that thinking about their eternal purpose is a waste of time. Just live for the moment. My eternal destiny is secure, so why bother asking, why am I still here? This viewpoint devalues the sacrifice of Christ. He did not give his life so that we can be unconcerned about what concerns him. A second misconception is focusing on life's pleasures. Many young people say things like, I don't want Jesus to return until after I've traveled, married, gotten that promotion, etc. These things are of ultimate importance in their lives. Yet the Bible teaches this attitude will choke out God's fruit in our lives. As Jesus said, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. A third misconception is preparation for heaven. They feel God needs to get their character up to some entrance level requirement before we're ready to actually move on to heaven. Most people are not really working hard to live by a biblical standard, but they figure at some point they will. However, righteousness is not our own, but rather that of Jesus. We don't need to get more righteous to enter heaven. The fastest way to make us completely mature is to take us to heaven. These common misconceptions as to our purpose fall under the warning Paul gave us in Philippians. For we walk, of whom we are often told, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, they set their minds on earthly things. Paul goes on to explain the contrary view, saying, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live our lives constantly aware of our heavenly citizenship, eagerly awaiting the return of our Lord. And over the rest of the week, we're going to examine 1 Peter to see what Peter has to say about our purpose in life and how we are to live it out. This has been Probe with your host, Kirby Anderson. To help you ponder your purpose further, go to upperiscope.com. To get your free copy of Steve Cable's transcript, Christian Purpose for Life, visit probe.org. Then join us next time as we help you proclaim the truth and live the truth here on Probe. This week we're discussing some of the biblical insights from Probe staff member Steve Cable concerning a Christian purpose for life, and we're specifically today looking at Peter, who began his first epistle with a reminder of what Christ has done for us, saying, According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Through Jesus' resurrection, we're born again and looking forward to an eternal inheritance in heaven. What a wonderful truth, helping us understand that we are already living in eternity as we wait for our inheritance to be revealed. In the meantime, we're occupying a temporary earth suit called to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. In the remainder of this letter, Peter addresses what we are to do while living on this earth. 
He tells us that we are likely to encounter trials and suffering in this world. Then beginning with verse 13 of chapter 1, Peter conveys to us the importance of our mission. He gives us instructions we would expect a military commander to give before sending his team out on a dangerous and critical mission. He tells us, number one, to prepare our minds for action. We are to be action-oriented, not passively waiting for our life to pass by. Number two, be alert and focused on the mission. We are to keep our minds focused on God's purpose for our life on this earth. Number three, keep a long-term perspective. Don't be deceived into putting your thoughts and your hope on the passing temptations of the world. And number four, realize God has entrusted you with a priceless resource of time. Peter tells us that we are to conduct ourselves in the fear of the Lord while on the earth. Peter reminds us that we have been redeemed at a very high cost, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. We owe a tremendous debt, which motivates us to faithfully carry out our mission on this earth. The preparatory instructions must be accompanied by two critical components. Specifically, Peter calls on us to purify our hearts and to love other believers with the same sacrificial love by which Jesus loves you. You know, this week we're considering why God leaves us on the earth after we are saved. The Apostle Peter addresses this as a main topic of his first epistle. Yesterday we saw what Peter said about our position in Christ and our preparation to fulfill God's mission for our lives. In the second chapter, Peter begins by reminding us that we are living stones, part of the holy building God is building on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. This building is to be a beacon proclaiming the glory of God and the good news of redemption. In verses 9 and 10, of chapter 2, Peter clearly states the purpose of our lives and of the church when he writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. We are a special people on this earth, God's own people. Peter uses the term used by Yahweh of the Israelites in the wilderness when he told them, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Israelites discovered that they could not obey his voice or keep his covenant even when ruled by kings who desired to serve the Lord. Jesus Christ had to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. In Jesus' righteousness, we now become the special people of God given his purposes to accomplish on this earth. Left here to proclaim his greatness, we are to declare more than just the general attributes of our Creator. We are to let people know that God will deliver them out of darkness and lead them to live in his marvelous light. God entrusts us with his glory, his light. We have the privilege of proclaiming his glory and offering his peace. At a basic level, we proclaim him by obeying his commands to tell the gospel of Christ, make disciples, and be available for God's use. If we are to proclaim the glories of Christ and the gospel of redemption to eternal life, how are we to accomplish this wonderful goal? Peter does not leave us wondering, as we'll see tomorrow. What purpose does God have for my life as a Christian on planet Earth? God leaves us here primarily for the purpose of bringing others into his kingdom. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to remain on in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. 
In his letter to the Colossians, Paul stated, We proclaim Christ by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom, so that we may present every person mature in Christ. The Apostle Peter put it this way, You are a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How are we to proclaim Christ? Is the best approach to rent a large electronic bullhorn and drive the streets preaching the good news? Or in today's world, we could start a Facebook page featuring John 3.16. These techniques might be appropriate in some circumstances, but that is not where the Apostle Peter says we should begin. Peter follows his command to proclaim Christ with this interesting introduction. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Instead of beginning with instruction on how to best verbalize our faith, he focuses on how we should live out our faith. Our behavior, if kept excellent in purity and good deeds, will attract the attention of non-Christians, of evildoers causing them to consider the work of Christ in this world. The reason God calls us to excellent behavior is not so that we will be good enough for heaven, but rather to convict others of their need for a Savior. Peter continues to address ways in which we should proclaim Christ. He points out that having godly relationships is an important way. What types of relationships does Peter address? He specifically calls out our relationships with unbelievers, government authorities, our bosses, our co-workers, husbands and wives, other believers, and the elders he has placed over us. Relationships are the biggest part of life. People recognize relationships offering supernatural love from a servant's heart. As Christians, our relationships are not about getting what we deserve, but rather about giving to others the same way Jesus has given to us. The Apostle Peter tells us to proclaim Christ through excellent behavior before an unbelieving world and through our right relationships with those we encounter. For example, Peter tells us, Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Having a good attitude towards your boss, even though tough to understand, testifies to others of your eternal perspective. These first two ways of proclaiming do not require us to explain our faith. Unbelievers are drawn to Christ through our distinctive lifestyle. However, Peter discusses our spoken testimony as well by saying, Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Not only are we to live excellent lives, but we are also to give an account for the hope that is in us. Peter explains that this hope comes from being born again, knowing that we have an eternal inheritance. The phrase, to make a defense, is a translation of the Greek word from which we obtain the word apologetics. We need an apologetic explaining why, through faith in Jesus Christ, others can share in the same hope. Note the context of this call to apologetics. First, do it with gentleness and reverence, not with arrogance and self-righteousness. The object is not to demonstrate that you are right, but rather to help the questioner come to grips with the truth. Second, Peter reiterates his instruction from chapter 2 to focus on living sanctified lives so that even those who slander us know in their hearts of our good behavior. Finally, in 1 Peter 4, 7, we are called to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. 
If we're to be effective in proclaiming Christ, we must be consistently praying about the people we encounter and the obstacles we face. Peter makes it clear that our purpose on this earth is to proclaim the goodness of Christ who delivered us out of the domain of darkness and into the eternal kingdom of God. Proclaiming Christ in this way involves our excellent behavior, our right relationships, our gentle defense of the gospel, and a commitment to prayer. Let us examine our lives to see how this call is being lived out in us. For more information on this idea of eternal purpose, check out our new website at oncecaptive.com.